Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's episode is a talk given by Church of the Advent member, Dale Brown. Welcome to church this morning. On this great feast of, well, almost feast of Epiphany, this is kind of a unique situation. This is actually the last day of Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas. But since we're not going to ask everyone to come back out tomorrow for the Feast of Epiphany, we decided to uh, bring that feast forward today for us today so we wouldn't miss it because the Feast of Epiphany, what we call the Feast of Epiphany and what many of uh, our Eastern brothers and sisters who follow the Eastern calendar in the Orthodox Church call Theophany, is really a very big deal. It's a huge celebration. Uh, lots of people uh, today and tomorrow around the world will be celebrating uh, this great feast, almost like we do Christmas. Uh, it's that big of a deal. In Mexico and in, in Latin America, tomorrow will be the Feast of the Three Kings. And they'll have big celebrations and they'll be uh, having parades through cities. They'll be having three king cakes and all these things, celebrating the coming of the wise men to visit Christ, the king, in Bethlehem, or, excuse me, in his hometown. Over in the east, there's going to be a lot of people jumping into a lot of water to find crosses that priests bless. You, see, you ought to go watch videos of priests blessing the waters around the world. And uh, we could talk about that. And there's lots to talk about. I think we'll get to that next week. But they'll be throwing crosses in waters, and people will be diving in to get the cross, and there'll be great celebrations. All these things are taking place to commemorate what we generally in America ignore, <laughs> culturally speaking. We come to church, and you may hear a homily or two, but there's really not a big celebration as I think there should be. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn for me as part of our readings, I believe— for divine liturgy, but since we're not having divine liturgy, we didn't read this passage of scripture. But I do want to pick up on it. It's in Ephesians, so go to Ephesians. It's going to be after Matthew for all my kids. Now, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, turn there. While they're doing that, I just want to point out one quick little thing that I think would be helpful for those of you kind of new, and for those of you who may have forgotten, because I noticed my kids have been forgetting to this from time to time, when we read the gospel, and the gospel's processed out, you may notice we're doing something really weird with our hands uh, after Bo says the continuation. Uh, we'll do this. You may see us doing this. And you may be wondering what the heck's going on. Some people I know, they don't, at some point, they, it's like a secret handshake. They don't know what's happening. What's happening is, is instead of the big cross that we make, uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the church, we just make three small crosses on our forehead, on our lips, and on our, basically around our hearts. And it's a simple prayer. May the gospel be sealed in our minds, in our lip, on our lips, and in our hearts. And so when you see us doing that, you know, I could tell some folks probably, what the heck's going on? That's what's happening when we do that. So it's not some weird thing. It's just simply a, a prayer to go along with the reading of the gospel. So if you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, 
for you, the Gentiles, if indeed you have heard the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known the mystery, as I briefly written you, by which you have read, you may have understood my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of man, as it has been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Now, I'm going to sum up what Paul's saying here because Paul likes to have run-on sentences and then interject things in the middle of his sentences that take you off course. And I sympathize with Paul because if you ever have a conversation with me, that's generally how it goes. And I also have four kids, so I also know there's a need to simplify it. Paul is simply making the statement, I, Paul, for this reason, am a prisoner for Christ. Why? Because I am the apostle to the Gentiles. God has called Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. The other apostles, seemingly, had other callings. But for Paul, Paul's primary mission was to go to the Gentiles. Now, this has caused... Um, up until, you know, from, I'd say, the 1700s to N.T. Wright, <laughs> there were a lot of scholars who assumed, or you may have read if you were reading Scholarly the Works, that Paul actually made up Christianity. That was a common theme among a lot of liberal theologians. Paul made up Christianity because, you know, as anyone who studied first century Judaism knew, no Jews were interested in Gentiles, so Paul going to the Gentiles, going outside of Judaism, makes no sense. So clearly Paul, breaking Jewish norms, breaking Jewish culture, breaking Jewish law, and going out into the Gentile world and telling them that they are welcomed into the kingdom of God has to be something that he made up, and it wasn't something that was a part of the message of Christ or really the message of for any first, Jew, first century Jewish sect. Now, later scholars in the late 1900s, and obviously conservative scholars and, and those who are more orthodox and conservative, they pushed back against that and said Paul isn't this, but it really wasn't I think, until N.T. Wright forcefully brought this out and pointed this out succinctly that um, Paul did not create Christianity that the hope of the Gentiles coming into the kingdom was a part of the messianic hope. That Gentiles were not always supposed to be excluded, which is a great thing, because as I look out amongst us, I think all of us are Gentiles here. So us sitting in our pews today in this church is a great sign and a, and a hopeful sign that Gentiles are welcomed. Otherwise, it's kind of a weird thing that we'd be sitting here today. For Paul, Paul as a Jew, and hear me very clearly, Paul did not create Christianity and he didn't abandon Judaism. For Paul, being a very devout Jew, he knew that when the Messiah came, when God came in the flesh into this world, that one of the major things that was supposed to happen was that message was to be taken to the four corners of the world and proclaimed that not only is Jesus the king of the Jews, not only is Jesus the Messiah of the Jews, 
but he is the king of the whole world. He is the Messiah of the whole world. He is the hope of the whole world. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, which we will be approaching soon, isn't for a select few people within the land of Judea. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is for the whole world. And God was simply choosing the people of Israel to be a small tithe, a small down payment, a treasury box to hold on in this world until the Messiah came. And so for Paul, being devout, when he truly came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, instead of persecuting the church as Saul, and he comes to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and becomes Paul, renamed so, as a faithful Jew, he knew what his responsibility was. His responsibility was to go out into, whole, into the whole world and proclaim that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that the Gentile world is now coming into the kingdom, and the glory of the Lord is filling the whole world as the waters cover the sea, as Isaiah prophesied. That is the hope that Paul is taken to the Gentile world. That's also why he got put in chains and is arrested and eventually will be killed by the emperor because that message didn't fly too well in the Roman Empire when he goes to the emperor and tells him that uh, there is a god and there is a king and you're not him. <coughs> Kings don't like to be told that, and eventually he'll be martyred. No. You won't find it in the Bible. It's part of the tradition of the church. But he does write to the, to the Christians in Rome. One day we'll get there. We'll talk about it. Probably in 30 years we'll make it to that part of the scripture. Um, so this feast, this feast here, the Feast of Epiphany, is the celebration of the fact that you and I, brothers and sisters, get to celebrate and get to participate in the redemption of the whole world. This is our celebration. And this is why, quite honestly, so many cultures who have more of, let's say, an ethnic identity and understand themselves not being Jews by birth, but Gentiles, celebrate this day as kind of like the biggest deal in the calendar next to Pascha, next to Easter. Because we in America, we, we like to see ourselves as a melting pot. We don't see ethnicity and things like that. But in Latin America, they see themselves as Latin Americans. And when they, when they come to this celebration, they see it as an intimate part of their story of coming in, their story being grafted in to the story of Israel. Which brings us to the gospel which we read today. The gospel that we heard when, it, when we processed down. The message of the Magi. This for us on the Feast of Epiphany is, has always been understood to be the story of at the very beginning. We're not even waiting for Paul to come, but at the very beginning, at the very birth of Christ himself. Magi from the East. Gentiles from from the East, people who were far away from the story, people who had no connection to Judaism. Those who are far off are drawing near. 
those who seem to be outside the story are finding themselves right in the middle of the story. Those who were not looking for a king found one in swaddling clothes. Or probably a little bit older. He's not in swaddling clothes at this point. Those who were not looking for a Messiah have found one. And when they approach the young child Christ, we're told exactly what these Gentiles did. They fell down and they worshipped him. This feast is a feast celebrating us coming into the, into the kingdom of God. It's a feast of those of us who seemingly by birth could be very far away from the stories that we read in the Old Testament, finding our place right at the heart of it. For the whole Old Testament was pointing to Christ. And here at the very beginning of the story of Christ, we see the Gentiles coming to worship. Brothers and sisters, if this isn't a time to celebrate, I don't know what is. We should be continuing our, our Christmas celebrations. I know many of us are weary from all the things that families and things going on all the time, but we shouldn't slow down. This is a story of God himself coming into the world, not to just save a small group of people, but to save the whole world. And what better way to see that in the Gospels than to see it at the very beginning? When people who are far off are drawing near in worship of the one who's come to save them. So as we continue today with our prayers, let us worship Christ today as the Magi did 2,000 years ago. As we continue throughout the rest of the day, wherever our day finds us, today and tomorrow, let us continue in a spirit of celebration, knowing that it is only by Christ, only by Jesus, only through his story, that you and I are made a part of the larger story of God's great redemption of all. To the glory of God the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.